always humbled to get to uh, come back to my home church. Uh, you know, I, I think about this. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but I, I think about it. Um, you know, I, some of you have great fond memories of me. I think your memory may be slightly off. Um, <laughs> Because I do know that I have been uh, an annoyance at times as my loving self growing up here. I kicked Joe in the shins only once and never did that ever again. And, but uh, I, am, uh, I am humbled to get to be before you because I've watched what Jesus has done in my life. It's not what Sean has done, it's what my Lord Jesus has done. If there's anything that happens that transforms us, it's not by any special effort that I've done, it's become a surrender of recognizing that there's nothing in me that's good enough to please God, and yet He loved me enough in spite of myself with such grace to transform me. I am nowhere near where I want to be, but I'm nowhere where I used to be either by the grace of God. Amen? And so as we come before and we open up God's Word, I want to encourage us, as you all have been praying for this revival, um, as you all have been tasked by your pastor, as you all have been praying, as you all have been preparing, uh, that the moment that we look at now in this moment is, what does God want to do with me? Before we start thinking about anything else, about going out and doing everything else, which is important and God has commanded, but it starts with this moment. What is the introspection that God wants to be doing in my life? What is it that He wants to be doing in this moment as you have been praying? What is it that He wants to be doing in my life? Priorities are highly important. Would you not agree? Let's think about this. Priorities are highly important. If all of a sudden one of your priorities is is that I would like to work and I'd like to be able to retire. I'd like to work really hard to be able to put money back, to be able to make sure that we have all these plans for retirement so we can do all these things, that can be a priority, right? Here's the problem. If you start planning that way in order to live at that time and you forget to live now, you've kind of messed up what that priority was all about. It's about living now. Because not everybody gets to make it to retirement. Sadly enough, I've talked to enough people now that they were planning to live the good life when they got to a certain time. They planned to be able to travel to do all these things. And one spouse is no longer there. They've passed on. Or health problems happen. And what happens in that moment is, is that that health took them down and they're not able to go and do things. If we don't get our priorities right, we can have these great ideas, but what drives them becomes the wrong thing. The same way is true with following Christ. If we don't get the right things right, if we don't make it the right priorities, instead of actually looking more like Christ, we actually drive people away. We look less and less like Christ, yet we feel very dignified because we can quote Scripture and we can do things and get... How we treat people, people are like, if that's Jesus, I want nothing to do with Him. Know what I mean? I want you to go with me this morning, if you have your Bible, and I want to encourage you. Can we, I'm not going to, I'm not going to check you to see if you've got it, but I want to encourage us. I want you to bring a Bible this week. If you don't, it's okay. I'm not going to guilt trip, but I want to encourage you. Whether it's on, whether it's on, Hard copy or whether it's on a device, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to bring a Bible this week. Why am I saying that? Because I know we've got it up on the screen, but I will tell you right now, God wants to speak with you. 
And there may be something in this moment as we're going through things and I'm reading through Scripture and God may catch your eyes in the middle of the sermon where you start reading something and I'm going to give you permission. If God's leading you to it, then you read. You let God speak to you about what He needs to speak to you individually. But if it's only up on the screen and you don't have it in front of you, so I want to encourage you to bring a Bible so that we hear what God is speaking to each of us together and individually. Mark 12, 28 through 34 is where we're going to be today. Mark 12, 28 through 34. And so as we go here, here we have Jesus going towards the end of his ministry, and he is constantly being questioned by the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes. He's, he's constantly having these people ask questions. And they're not asking questions to actually gain knowledge. They're asking questions to trick him or trip him up. They're not being sincere. They're like going, let's get him on this one. Let's get him on this one. And so they come up with all these different ways of trying to ask questions that they don't even really want to know the answers about. They just want to go, aha! But then all of a sudden, Jesus is engaged in one of these other foolish discussions that are really not about truth, that's being asked about a woman that's husband's died and he died. And then so they keep going back through all this stuff right before Jesus gets asked this question. And Jesus, he just, he just constantly just corrects them. He's like going, you either don't know the Scriptures, you don't understand this. I mean, just all the way. And then there's one scribe in verse 28 and says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, meaning Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, coming from our background, when we talk about commandments, usually what do we think about? Think about the Ten Commandments, right? When we think that way, the way we look at by the way, thank you all for answering the question. I didn't know if I was supposed to ask questions or not. I love it. People are asking questions. It's good. Usually people are like, so what do we do this? They're like going, are we supposed to talk? Are we supposed to talk? Don't say a word. Okay? It's okay to talk. Okay? So here we have it. But in the Jewish context, there's 16 or there's 613 commandments. All back, some greater, some lesser, positive, negative, all these different things. But there's 613 commandments as, the, as they are looking at it in their context. And so now the question is being asked to Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Which is the greatest? Now, the reason this is so interesting is this. Do you know if we don't start at the right place, we end up in the wrong place, Right? If you don't watch it, you end up in a very bad place if you don't start with the right position. Think about it. Answering this question, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the most important one? Well, let's just say this. Let's say it's a, let's say murder. Murder is going to be the most important one. How many of you all would agree that to not murder someone's pretty important? Okay, we're working on revival. Should have been an amen on that one, okay? It's okay, we'll get there and everything, okay? So... But here's the thing. Everybody in that moment can say this. Let's all agree, murder is the most important thing. It is important. But then all of a sudden, if you don't watch it, then all of a sudden you can go like this. You run into somebody else that has a, I don't know, different sin, and you start to do this. Well, I just want you to know, I ain't ever murdered anybody. But you, you're a liar. And I'm glad I'm not a liar 
you start to be condescending on things. True? What if you're going to say this? What if you say the greatest commandment is to not, you know, lie? If we want to start doing it, the problem is, is that we start to put ourselves as the authority and the judge. We can get very condescending in starting to look down on people because I haven't done that one. I haven't done that one. I haven't done that one. And we get to be very self-righteous with what we do. But Jesus takes it and He goes this direction. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus begins to, out of Deuteronomy, the Shema. This is something that pious Jews would recite, even sometimes, depending on what they were doing, what they believed, a few times a day. It was something that was stated over and over often. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus begins to define that by saying this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When we start with this, when we start with the first part of this commandment, to love God, we recognize that I don't even know what love is. What about you? I don't know what love is. I can hijack it and make it what I want it to be. But when I start with God, why do I start with Him? Because God is the greatest good out there, period. Everybody that turns to God can find hope and peace and love. What happens if they turn to me? You can ask my wife. If she were to put her soul hope in me, she would be greatly let down. She already is let down at times. You could have given an amen. It would have been okay. It's truth. But when we look to God, when we give glory to God, when He is lifted up, when He is magnified, when we point people to Him, people find hope. They find truth. They find love. They find peace. They find all these things. But when I detract from God, I take people away from Him. To make sure that God is loved, that I love Him more than anything. Think about this when we talk about the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Why? Because there is no other name like God, like Yahweh. His name to be lifted up. It is not to ever be taken out of context. And, and you know, I find this interesting. I find this so interesting. Have you noticed that whenever we tend to, or in our society, that whenever we tend to do something where we're upset, that we will use God or Jesus Christ's name as some kind of curse word? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed I have never ever at one point in time, at this point in my limited time, but dealing with people where I have never heard 
I have never heard a Muslim ever stump their toe and go, Oh, Muhammad! With Indian friends that I had, I never heard them with the billions of gods they had. Never ever used one of their gods as a slur in the name. Why is it that that happens with God and Jesus Christ? I find that really curious. Because when we lower God to just some kind of curse word or some kind of exclamation or something else, we take it down that He is not holy or magnificent or wonderful or fantastic or beautiful. We just make Him common. And if God is common, then what's the world believe? He can't help me. He's not powerful. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care. When we love God, we want to love His person, respect who He is, to give all glory to Him, to be dependent upon Him. Think about it. Everything, if we talk about the first four commandments, everything is about either glorifying Him or being dependent upon Him. Not upon money, not upon fame, but upon God. Have you ever thought about money, how it's very similar in characteristics with God? Have you ever thought about that? I'm going through a hard time. But if I just had enough money, I would be safe. If I had God, I'd be okay. If I had more money, I'd be happy. If I had a right relationship with God, I'd be happy. If I didn't have these things overwhelming me, crushing me down, I could be able to use this money to push all this stuff away. Have you noticed that they're very similar? This is why the Bible tells us you can't serve God and mammon. Church, we are called to love God deeply. We are called to look at our life. Are we dependent upon Him and are we lifting Him up? When people see us, who do they see? Who do they see? When people look at me, do they go, it's not perfect. But He kind of gives a representation of God. She's got her quirks. But she kind of has this representation of God. When people look at you, what do they think? I'm asking you a deep question now. When people look at you, what do they think? Not what do you tell them. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I didn't, I, I didn't ask that question. I asked, what do they think? The second part of this comes into this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Loving people is hard. Do you agree? Loving people is hard. To love people means that I don't always get what I want. To love people means that I'm all, not always first. To love people in this moment means that at times I could get taken advantage of.
We are called to love people. And not with our love, but with the love that Christ has given us. How do you love people? I ask a question. Let's say that you go out to a restaurant. Let's say that you have a waiter or waitress that is waiting on you. They get your order wrong. They're rude. They don't get service. I'm not saying that there's not things that can't be said and there's not things to be done, but here's the question I'll ask you. Do you know what they're going through? Are they going through a divorce? Have they lost their job or on the verge of it? Does somebody hate them? Did their mom call them that day and say, I really don't want to have anything else to do with you? How many of you have asked that question at times? I find out it doesn't happen at times. And so what we do in that moment is we're either going to talk to their manager. I get it. Sometimes that's legitimate. I get it. We're going to talk to their manager or we're going to not tip them. You don't deserve a tip. We're going to do something in that moment to say that you have offended me. You have wronged me. I am here. I am the customer. I am king. What happens, though, in that moment if you were to stop and just to go, sounds like you're going through a hard time right now. Can I, can I pray with you? Maybe all of a sudden you look at them and you say, you know what? I want you to know today that I want to give you a, a $20 tip because I just want to show you the love of Jesus today. I'm giving examples in this moment because here's what I find. We want to love people based on how they treat us and how they love us. True? If they love me, I love them. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, if you're going to love me, then I'll sit there and say, you're the greatest waiter ever. I just want you, you are just, let's talk, let's pray. I'll get, yes, absolutely, I'll be here every week. But if they're jerks, not only that, but I love this. I love this. I love the fact that not only will they do a bad job, but then we will secretly put our opinion out on Facebook so nobody else will find out about it. I was at such and such today, and this person in that my food was cold, and this was bad, and everything else, and I can't believe this, and I just want you to know I will never go there again. Da 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 da. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you, you just know that you uh, you gossiped, and you pretty much just murdered that person. You hated that person. You didn't love that person. You didn't take the time in that moment to be able to love them or pray for them. You spoke against them. You assassinated their character. And all in the frame of what? I was offended. Church, Jesus loved us while we were enemies. Not bad people. He didn't love us that we were kind of mediocre, not good. You missed a couple days of church, but you're halfway okay. You and I were an enemy of the Most High God. An enemy is what the Bible tells us. And yet He chose in that moment to love us, not for what we have done, but by what of who He is.
He is love. He is love. Church, think through it for a moment. Do not murder. But if you hate someone, what does Jesus say? Am I supposed to ask the question again? It's murder, right? And you have, don't you love how we as Christians sit there and say this? I love this. I love this. The Bible says that if you hate someone, you've murdered them. Well, yeah, I don't really hate them. I mean, we make excuses to stay in our sin. We make excuses to not love somebody. How would you like it if Jesus made an excuse to sit there and say this? I really, really want to love on you. However, you've blown it like five times. And so... We're not called to bear false witness. We're not called to covet what other people have. Have you noticed in this world that it's like we can't be content with what God's given us to be thankful for it. We're always sitting there going, oh, they don't deserve that or they got this house and everything and they got that and I wish I had this and I'll be able to... We don't love God. We don't love others. And then we wonder about this world around us. Why, 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 why do we keep losing people? How come nobody wants to come to church? Because as the westernized church, we don't really look like Jesus much anymore. We talk a good game, but the way we love is not really love. What do you think when I say that? Listen to Matthew 5, 43-48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the saying of the day of Jesus' time. It's the saying of the day. You have heard, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus loved His enemies the very people that were trying to kill Him, the very people that were mocking Him, the very people that were coming against Him, going after His disciples. Even on the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was there and He stated this, if there's any possible way, let this cup be taken from me. He knew what He was going to experience on the cross. Not only the separation from the Father of taking upon sin, but He also knew the agony He was going to experience. He was going to have to watch His mother, who was in the crowd watching what she was going through, and sit there and say, John, behold your mother. He was going to watch his disciples scatter. He was going to watch all these things. Yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had said, Father, if there's any possible way, take this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. And when he made that decision to trust the Father, it was then in that moment when they were mocking him while he was on the cross. He saved others, let him save himself. I'm telling you right now, if I had Jesus' power, I would make a spectacle of myself. I would come off the cross... And I would sit there and say, all of y'all are gone. I wiped you out. Why can I say that? Because I know 
who I am without Jesus. I am not a loving person. But Jesus loved His enemies. Church, I don't know if anybody has had someone trying to kill them lately. Maybe you have. I don't know what people have gone through. There are legitimate things. There may be some of you in here that have had somebody trying to kill you. Like, I I don't know what you experienced and what you've gone through. But here's what I will say. The majority of us in here have not had someone try to kill us, right? So what excuse do we have to our coworker, our boss, the people we're doing, that we're not loving them? If Jesus loves His enemies, what excuse do we have if we claim Christ that we are not loving people? Loving people is hard. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to follow Christ and say, I don't have to love people, well, then you're not following Christ. I don't know who you're following. You need to check yourself to whether you're a Christian or not. Well, I, 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 I want to love people, but this God in the Bible, I just think He's just, I just, I just think He's mean and rude and, and everything else. I'm just going to love people on my own. Well, you can love people on your own, but you don't love God. And you really aren't loving people. You have made up your own form of religion to make you feel better and put you on a pedestal to feel better about stroking your own ego and you're not helping anybody by doing that. You think you are because you feel good. But your feeling good is leading people to hell. You loving people on your terms is not helping them, it's helping you. And who are you to give people complete hope? I can't do that if I point people to me. Some of you right now are sitting there going, I don't want to listen to this message. I don't like him. See, you don't even like me. I'm not telling you to look to me. I'm telling you to open your Bible. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm asking you to trust this to see what he says. Put it to the test. I'm telling you, he's right. His love is best. Who he is is best. Listen to what the scribe says. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, You have truly said that He is one, and there is no other besides Him. Now listen to this, 33, and to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. He's not breaking it down saying, did you you love Him with your soul, but I need to work on my strength, or did you work on that? No, with everything in your being is to love God. Everything about you. There can be no hidden compartment where I love God with this part of my life, but this part is mine. No. Everything about it has to love God and lift Him up. Everything. There is no compromising. It's either all in or all out. We don't get to make that decision. It's His terms, not mine. But when I love Him with everything I have, and I'm loving people, here's what the this is what this, this scribe said. To love Him with everything and to love people is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now now think about this. God commanded the offerings to be done, right? It it, It is required that God has said. But if we just did offerings in a Jewish context, if we just did offerings and we did them like abundantly, without love, doesn't matter the religious activity you're doing, God is not pleased. If you've been coming to church all this time and your life is not surrendered to loving God and loving others, you have to ask, what have I been trying to accomplish? If I'm not surrendering all the time to be able to say, God, I it's about loving you and loving others. But if you're like going, I've been to church, I've been to church all the time. 
I read my Bible every day. I tithe. I give money. I make sure I ain't killed nobody. If you don't love God and you don't love others, your religious activity is garbage. If you don't love God and you don't love others, everything that you're trying to accomplish... I don't get to judge salvation, but I will tell you this. Jesus is going to look at some people at the very end that have done all these kind of godly things outwardly. Miracles, prophecies, signs. They're going to have done all these things. And Jesus will look at them and He will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, you have to know me, Jesus. I, I healed that person. I don't know who you are. Don't, don't you know? I was in front of the church and I was, I was prophesying and I was doing things. I never knew you. If we don't have the priority right, it doesn't matter everything else because it's all wrong. The sacrifices that were given, think about it. Listen to what the Bible says. Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to Hosea 6.6. 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is Old Testament. God has not changed. He was telling them then, you are offering me all these sacrifices. Yes, you're worshiping Baal. I don't care anything about your sacrifices. You want to tell me that you're worshiping God and how much you love Him and your fellow kinsmen? You're taking advantage of them? Don't tell me how much that you love God. Hosea is telling us this. Think about this. This is also and found in this. Listen to Micah 6.8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's this poetic thing. Like, what do you want? The best of the calves that I can give you a year old? I give you tens of thousands of oil and, and all these things. Yeah, even poetically, which God would not want in this way, but even poetically, firstborn. I even give you my firstborn. Like, what outward thing can I do to show you that I am following you. Verse 8, He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to look at people that are in the midst of things and to love people with the love that God has given us. To lift up God, to make sure that whenever people look at me, they're able to go, He's a God follower. He's a Jesus follower. Verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus finally gets one sincere question and gets a sincere response. And he says, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
Well, why didn't he say he was in? Because church, the commandments are also not the top priority. It's knowing God. It's knowing God. Jesus Christ came upon this earth, not to be a good example, but God in flesh to sinners. God created us, humanity, in His image. We were called to function with Him perfectly. But we messed that up because we questioned what God said and then we wanted to do it our way. And sin entered into the world. And as sin entered into the world, it has caused problem after problem. Because sometimes the sin I'm reaping is because of my choices, and sometimes the sin I'm reaping is because of other people's choices. But I recognize that sin is a part of me. And I can't fix this sin problem by loving people better. Because I can't do the impossible. I need a sacrifice. This sacrifice that the Bible talks about is this, a payment for sins. Think about this. If you were to break the law, if you were to break the law, and you were to go up to the judge and say, hey, I want you to know, my bad, I'll never do that again. My bad, I'll never do that again. The judge goes, you're right, all right, don't do it again. Good luck. Why doesn't he do that? Because you saying I'm sorry and I'll never do that again doesn't take the injustice that's been done to something else. The law's been broken. You can't take that back. You can't say, my bad. The law's been broken. And when you offend a holy God, he doesn't say, He doesn't take the, I'm sorry, I'll do better. He goes, no, you broke my law. There's a penalty for that. The penalty is death. Well, Sean, that sounds so harsh. You were created perfect. You were created with the knowledge to do exactly what was right. But you've not done it. True? True? You've not done it. It's because of the sin that indwells within us. We have a sickness. We have a thing that was within us, this sin. And we have to pay the penalty for it. But God in His goodness gave His life for enemies. Jesus didn't die for you or me because we said, I'm sorry, I'll do better. He died while we still said, I could care less about you, God. I could care less about you. He died while we were still enemies. He didn't wait for us to say we're sorry. He didn't wait for us to get our life together. He died when we were at our possible worst. And His death and His blood that's shed pays the penalty for those that say this, Jesus, I give my life to You. You've chosen to pay for this penalty. I don't deserve it. And what you demand from me is a loving relationship to trust you, to lift you up, to glorify you, to follow you. My life becomes yours to do whatever you want with. And I'm not perfect. 
even if I were to give my life to Christ and I've given my life to Christ, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. What about you? But I don't use God's grace to make excuses to stay where I've been. I'm convicted to become more and more of the God, of who God wants me to be. This is the reason Jesus said this, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. Why is he not in? Because he's heard Jesus' understanding, he's heard kind of what Jesus has said, but he's not trusted Jesus for it. He's not trusted Jesus to be his Lord, his Savior, and to submit to him. There are so many people in church that it scares me. Because I think that they have good... Some of them, we, have the, we have more knowledge than we've ever had in our entire life. I think we, we've got these answers that we can say all the time. Oh, I, I know what Jesus did and I know what He did. In fact, some of you could probably look at me and say, Sean, I think you could have done better sharing the gospel message right there. I think I could even give you a better theological thing. I'm not opposed to that. You probably could. But here's what I'm sharing with you. We've got more knowledge than we've ever had, more access to things, more of the ability to give answers, and yet, in my opinion, the church looks less like Christ than it ever has. Because it's not about theological answers. It's not about saying words or, or saying a prayer or doing things. It is about a surrender unto the God who loves us. Not my will, but yours be done. Why do I love that person? I don't want to love half the people that offend me. Can I be honest about that? I don't want to love half the people that offend me. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be so humbled and grateful by a God that chose to die for me, an enemy of His, I get to love people. I get to love people because He chose to love me. And so I'm going to fight with everything I have to love people. Why? Because I don't understand why God would love me to begin with. I'm asking you the question right now. What does your love look like, church? What does your love look like? I want you, I want you to think right now. What does love look like towards the people at work? I want you to think. <clears throat> towards the people at work, what does your love look like? How do you love your boss? How do you love your coworkers? I'm going to ask you a question. How do you love your family? Well, Sean, you don't understand the family that I grew up with. You don't understand. You don't understand the people that were cruel and that were mean. Sean, you don't understand. I'm going to be really loving. And if I'm wrong on this, then you correct me. But I'm just going to be really honest with you. I get it that we may not be able to trust everybody. But forgiveness is about what I do. Trust is about what they do. I can forgive anybody. Why? Because that's my choice. Trust, I don't know if they ever want to build trust. Well, that's on them. But I have no excuse. So any family member that's ever hurt me, I'm going to figure out how to forgive them in the love of Jesus. I'm going to ask a question. Oh, this is not nice. I shouldn't ask this question. How many of y'all got issues in here with each other? Oh, Sean, we all love each other. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I grew up in this church. As a kid, I knew that there were some conflicts that were going on that y'all didn't like each other. 
I don't know if all those people are still here or not, but I'm just going to be real honest with you. I know there were people that were acting that was not like Jesus Christ whatsoever and yet showing up to church and somehow justifying it. And why can I say that? Because I have been a pastor not standing some of my congregation at times, making excuses to not forgive, and I was just as wrong. This is not me standing here pointing a finger at you. Church, we're coming down on the same level. It's not about me or you. It's about Jesus. And if I can't love people, I can't say, oh, I follow Jesus, but I'm going to talk horrible against you based on principle. Church, we can't do it. Can't. If you've got a problem with somebody in here, you need to figure out how to forgive them. Why? Not because I said so. Because of this. If you claim Jesus, you're arguing with this. If you've got a problem with somebody at work, guess what? Well, Sean, you don't know what that you got family members. I'm not saying you'll be able to trust them all the time. They may not be trustworthy. They may hurt you again. It has nothing to do with you not forgiving them in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't have an option if He's going to be Lord. And you can't do it if you don't know Jesus as your Lord. Don't start with trying to love people. Start with this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Out of that, you'll be amazed at what you can do. Out of that, you'll be amazed at what takes place. Out of following Jesus and surrendering to Him over and over again, you'll be amazed at how Jesus changed your life. But church, how do you love? As we come before the Lord right now, I've got a couple things. One, what is it that you need to repent of? What is it that I need to repent of? That we need to go before God and say, the ultimate priority was not that you're a moral person. That's important. But your priority, if you're following God, is to love God and love others. How does that love look if you call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there areas you need to repent in? Are there things you need to confess before God? I'll even be honest with you. Are there people that you need to go across the aisle with and be able to say this, I'm sorry I wronged you. Even if we disagreed, I wronged you. Are there next door neighbors that have had dogs yapping that you've complained about forever? And you've said horrible things about that you may need to go over and fix it. I don't care what it is. But whatever it is that God's telling us, how do you love God? Is He lifted up in your life? Are you obedient to Him that when people look at you, that they don't sit there and look at your sin, they're able to go, I've watched that person repent. I've watched that person confess. I've watched that person change. That Jesus that they say they follow, it's probably real. And today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today, if you don't know Jesus, when is it going to start? When are you going to give your life to Christ? The altar that we come to now in this moment, if you need to confess, repent, receive Jesus, let's do what God calls us to do. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, Lord, we thank You today for who You are. Lord, I thank You that You give us Your Word. More importantly, You give us Your presence. Lord, I thank You for Your grace and for Your patience. And Lord, I thank You that You don't condemn us, but Lord, You convict us. Father, I pray today for us that as we 
are your children, God, that there are things in our life that you are convicting us that we need to let go of, people that we need to forgive, people that we need to love. Lord, that you would do a work within your children's life that we would love and that we would forgive. Father, I pray today for those that do not know you. They do not have a relationship with you. Father, I pray for people that have claimed you forever, but they do not know you. Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that they would really understand that it's not about what they've done, but about what you have done. And that they would give their lives unto you. Surrender completely. Now. Lord, whatever you need to do with us, whatever you need to do within our lives, Lord, that as we walk out of this building today and as we interact with people, Lord, that your will would be done, that we would love the way that you have loved us. So that we can hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.